passage today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-25. through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disruptor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God in the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, we have been walking through the scriptures over the last several months um, as we're taking a look at the letters. We're doing a year or more of looking at the letters written in the New Testament. And we've been taking these letters in the chronological order by which they've been written. I don't know if you've been able to catch that or not, but that's what we're doing. And so now we've come to the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we're calling this five-part series, Church Problems. And Paul addresses um, to the church in Corinth um, some big problems that their church was experiencing. And we find ourselves in the year 2022 still looking at major problems that churches struggle with it from time to time. And so I want to, you know, start off this week um, by taking a look at the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. And as we look at one of the major church problems that churches struggle with, Paul addresses the issue of division, um, division in, in a church and in their church. And uh, so just to give you a little background on the letter written by Paul to the Corinthians, the first one he wrote, um, this one was written in collaboration with his friend Sosthenes. Um, it was written about the year late 56, early 57 AD. Um, he, Paul was in the city of Ephesus when he wrote this in Asia Minor. And this city um, of Corinth was a port city. It was um, strategically located on the water. Um, um, it grew. It was a popular city. It was a bustling city because of all of the commerce that came in and out and through that town. Um, prosperity, um, pagan hedonism was big, largely because of the fast-paced movement and the contemporary aspects of this city. I want you to envision um, a bustling city like New York or LA um, to kind of give you an idea maybe of some of the varied challenges and issues that may be present in a city like that. Um, Paul's letter to the Christians at Corinth is addressing concerns regarding some of the paganistic tendencies that even the church and the church leaders would struggle with living in a city like Corinth. Um, Paul is addressing church problems in this first letter to the Corinthians. Um, our next book, we're going to be looking at the book uh, or the letter to the Romans before we look at the second letter um, uh, to the Corinthians. 
Um, the first four chapters, as we're going to take a look at here, so we're going to be looking at quite a bit of scripture. Um, we're going to be looking at this issue of division in the church. Now, our church here, Rochester Life Assembly, has been pretty blessed, at least in the four years that I've been here, with no real church division type issues. Um, no real big arguments. No one really trying to push an agenda. Um, it's been very blessed. Um, it's been a great, great um, to see a church that doesn't really struggle with the issue of division here. But just because we don't really struggle with division doesn't mean we're immune from such things ever happening. And so as we take a look at this um, issue of division, it's important for us to be prayerfully um, considering our own church and asking that the Lord would protect us from some of the matters that we might discuss here, that uh, God would protect us from division and arguments and factions raising up against um, groups of people um, like was apparently going on here in Corinth. So we're going to look at a couple different divisions in the church um, that Paul addresses. And the first division that we're going to address is the division between the re religious and the secular. The religious and the secular. Now, um, Susie already read this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, so I won't do that. But in that passage of Scripture, we find highlighted um, the religious and the uh, secular. He talks about the Jews and the Greeks. And what he's really talking about here is the starting point of a, uh, of a person's faith. So he was saying that in your church, in Corinth, you find two different groups that are being brought to Christ. You've got Jewish people, people with a religious background, people who are um, have been trained in the Scripture or praying, um, you know, trained in a church setting, in a gathering setting where there's a focus on God. And then you've got people who are coming to Christ out of a Greek or a Gentile setting, a setting where these people have not had any kind of religious training or religious experience at all. And we're really talking about these two different starting points. So I want you to envision a person who would come to Christ, come to this revelation of what Jesus Christ has done. But this person has been raised going to church their whole life, but they've never really embraced Christ as their Savior. They've memorized Scripture. They've been in Sunday school. Maybe they've got all this stuff working in their life. But they've never come to their own faith of embracing Jesus as their own Savior. Maybe they've never come to grips of their need for it. That's pretty common for people who grow up in church. They don't really feel like or understand their need. Maybe they've done everything pretty right in life, but there's still been sin, but they almost don't even see it. And finally, they come to this revelation. But they've got this starting point in their faith of having all of this foundation of church life in their life. And then you've got another person that maybe has come to Christ who's been been never exposed to anything in the church, but they've come to this revelation of who Jesus is, and now they're trying to fit into the life of a church. And so you've got both of these groups of people, and Paul's kind of addressing the fact that in your new church in Corinth, you've got both Jewish people with religious experience and people that have none. They got a very secular mindset. 
Um, both backgrounds have advantages and disadvantages to moving forward in a relationship with Jesus and in the relationship within the church. Um, those who have got a religious background or as Paul called them, the Jewish background, they've got some advantages in that they have Bible knowledge. Um, maybe they've got, they've got a comfort level with leadership in the church. Um, they understand how leadership works in a church setting, um, what's appropriate to say and not to say, what's appropriate to do and not to do. So there's some advantages there. But some of the disadvantages to someone who's found Christ, but they've got a church background is that maybe they're closed off to learning. Maybe they think they've learned it all and heard it all. And the Holy Spirit's trying to teach them something. And yet they're kind of closed off because they've heard all this before. Um, or maybe they're uncomfortable in outreach settings where they've, they've enjoyed their whole life of being within the church. And now you're saying, but Christ calls us to go into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus, and they're a bit uncomfortable with that and talking with people about their faith. But now you got a person who's coming from a secular, a Gentile background, um, and some of the advantages there is that they're kind of coming with a clean slate. Uh, they don't have any preconceived ideas as to what you're supposed to do in church. They're ready to learn about God. They're ready to read their Bible and to take it in. Um, there's some enthusiasm about saving the world because they've just experienced that saving grace. And so they're excited about that. They've even got some connections in the world to where they're fairly comfortable to go out there and to tell people who uh, have never heard about Christ and tell them the good news because they've just heard it too. And so there, there's some advantages there. There's a zeal and an enthusiasm perhaps. But some of the disadvantages is that they might say the wrong things when they're in church. They might ask some of the wrong questions. They might uh, behave in such a way that no one else around is used to, and it can create maybe some awkward moments for everybody. Maybe they're um, not real confident in their knowledge, and so they might start talking to someone about their newfound faith, except for they find themselves in deep water, and they don't know how to swim very well, and they get questions asked of them that they don't know how to answer. And so both of these starting points of these newfound followers of Christ can have their advantages and disadvantages. Well, what happens is you can have a division. You've got these people with a religious background trying to do church and life and family uh, as a body of believers um, with this group that has no real experience. And you can find um, some discord. You can find people fighting with each other or people seeing things differently or they look over across the room and say, oh, man, those people are really unrefined and they don't seem to understand how to do things here. And you can find squabbles. And so here Paul is addressing, you've got two different starting points of faith and you've got to be able to um, love one another and work together and not have these stumbling blocks that you're throwing in front of one another. You're supposed to act this way. You're supposed to do this. Well, God can't possibly be happy if you do, do this or say that. And you've got other people going, loosen up, you know, and you got to, um, you know, you're never going to reach anybody. If you, if you can't accept someone with tattoos, you, you, what are you going to do? And you've got this division that can happen just because of the starting points, the backstory, the orientation or the origin from which they're coming from. And so, 
so um, this can become a point of division. Um, another division that Paul addresses here in these first couple chapters, you've, you've got this religious and the secular um, division, but you've also got the experienced and the newbies. Now you're saying, well, this sounds kind of similar. Um, no, it's, it's actually a little bit different here. Um, let's read what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, and it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here we have Paul calling out this squabbling and this division, this fighting and backbiting and envy and all this that's going on within this church. And here he addresses them as babies. You're acting like babies is kind of what he's saying. And I want to kind of take a look at this idea of the experienced in the church and the newbies, the people who are just joining in or have just found Christ. You got people who have been walking with God a long time. Maybe they found Christ way back 30, 40, 50 years ago. They've been faithful attenders and contributors to the church. They've made decisions. They've sat on boards. They've taught Sunday school classes. These people who have been fully invested in the church for a very long time, understanding the grace of Jesus. And now you've got new people that are coming into the church. They're just finding Christ and they're joining in. And here you can find a place for division to happen between those who have been invested and been giving and been loving people and been a part of the church a long time. And now people who are newer to the church. So it's similar, but we're not talking about their backstory or their origin. We're talking about groups of people, some that have been around for a long time knowing Jesus and now these new people. And now this, um, this has to do with followers who have been longtime attenders and now the new folks. And so you've got these long timers, the people who've been around for a long time. Um, you know, they've read their Bibles many times over. Um, they've been, um, you know, discipled. They've done their Bible study. They've got their quiet times worked into their life. Um, they've invested heavily over the years. They've made decisions that have shaped the direction of the church and the ministries and the facilities. Um, they They've bought things for the church. They've prayed with people over all kinds of things. They've taught Bible studies, led small groups. They've chaperoned youth group trips. All this stuff is, is a good description of some of the things that long timers have experienced and been a part of. And now you've got the, new, the newcomers, the new folks who don't know their Bible very well yet. Um, they haven't given a dime to the church. They don't know the church's history or the past story. Um, they don't know who decisions makers are in the church. They've never led a person to Christ. They're looking for a small group or a class to experience for the first time. So what could go wrong with this group of people? How could you have division with this going on? I mean, after all, the long timers um, should be thrilled that now there's some new young people that are going to carry the torch of the church and help see the church go into the future with um, new vision and plans and uh, new people to reach. They should be excited, right? And these new folks should cherish the experience of the long timers, right? They've got to know a thing or two. They've been doing this a long time. Certainly they're going to have the attitude and the mindset. Boy, there's got to be something I can learn from the older people in the church or the people who have been around for a long time. 
we shouldn't have any problem, right? Well, the problem is, is that sometimes you've got division here when you've got people wanting to change things and things have been done this way for so long. You've got all kinds of things that can go wrong when you have this change begin to happen. I have, you know, fortunately I've not been in too bad of the crosshairs of major church division, but I've seen a thing or two in the last 25 years of ministry. I've seen different squabbles. I've seen different things take place. Um, I've seen groups of people who have the great idea of taking the pews out of the church sanctuary to try to make the room a little bit more um, multi-purpose, that we maybe can use this room for other things. Well, I've seen those discussions not go super well. I've, uh, I've watched churches that have had to change over the years to where they started to think about taking the hymn books out of the pews and start using other ways to have words um, of the songs uh, you know, able to be vis visible. They're using screens and technology and all of this. And I've seen that change be painful for churches. Um, I've watched um, discussions as to how the pastor ought to dress because the pastor should be in a suit and a tie. And now all of a sudden he's taking his tie off and don't even go. Now he's wearing jeans and tennis shoes. All of this. I've watched churches migrate these changes and how challenging that can be. I've watched people leave church because they've always had their closet in their church. And this is the, where I store my you know, curriculum for my class that I've taught for 20 years. And now you want to use that closet for something else. You see, it doesn't take long when you start introducing change into a church that's been around for a long time that the fights can happen. And I want to remind ourselves here in 1 Corinthians 3.3 where it says, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And if we go back just a few verses, he even says that they're acting like babies. And friends, we've got to protect ourselves from fights and arguments and this, uh, this desire to be right. This desire to keep it the way it's been or this desire to change things because those old people don't know what they're talking about. We cannot have that disrupting the mission that God has called us to because there is a world that needs the message of Jesus and we have it. And whether we're talking about those who've been around the church a long time and are heavily invested for even generations or you're talking about people that are just coming to Christ, both have to have this heart that we will not let fights get in the way and arguments of the mission that Jesus calls us to. So Paul calls them out and he's really concerned about divisions creeping in and says you're acting like babies. Well, there's one more division that we find Paul addressing in 1 Corinthians, and that is the division between the discerning and the guessing. The discerning folks and the folks that are guessing. And um, let's read here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15, where it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 
If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. <laughs> Interesting passage of scripture there. Um, it's actually one that's got to be kind of thought about because here Paul's kind of talking about a group, you know, the groups of people, the groups of people within the church that maybe have different perspectives and different ways of going about ministry. You see here, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about whether one group is saved or not, because Paul here even says that what I'm talking about, both groups, whether you've built on this foundation well or you've built on this foundation poorly, both are saved, but one's not coming out unscathed, if you will, on that day of judgment. You see, the foundation of this group of people is the same. It's Jesus Christ. This is These are people that both have put their hope and trust in Jesus. And yet he goes on to describe how from this foundation, this faith in Christ, you start building. You start building the church. You start building your faith. You start building your lives. You start engaging in ministry. And what begins to happen is how you build matters. How you build your life. How you move forward from this foundation of trusting Jesus really makes a difference. Um, I want you to envision with me for a second that... There's two groups of people, two work crews, construction crews, that have been given an assignment. And their assignment is to build this building. And what they have to work with is a foundation that's already been laid. And they've been given a set of blueprints. Now, one group decides that they're going to take their assignment, their portion of the building of reconstruction, and they're going to pour over the plans, look at the blueprints. They're going to try to build it just according, because after all, the other group's probably going to be doing the same thing, and we want to have the same product. And so they come out that way. And another group has been around a long time, and they say, you know what? We know how to build. We've been building a long time. We've been doing this a long time. We see the foundation. We can kind of see where this you know, the designer was going with this thing and we're going to use our own intuition and we're going to use our own experience and we're going to construct just like we always have. And they both go at it and they don't really pay a whole lot of attention. And one side isn't paying a whole lot of attention to the blueprints while the other one is. And the end result is this building that's been constructed and one's been according to the plan and one's been according to intuition and experience. And there's a potentially a problem. There's a problem that one group did it differently than the other group did it. One was based on intuition and one was built upon looking at the plans. Now, I don't know how this building is end up going to fare in the end. I don't know what the elements and the, the, the weather and the fire and all the stuff that's going to beat against it is going to happen. But in the end, somehow, one portion of this building is probably going to do better than the other portion of this building. I want to remind you of a portion of scripture um, that we've already read at the very beginning. And that is this 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18 through 19. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You see, we can have a tendency 
as people who have discovered Christ to still lean on our own intuition. We could have this propensity to still bring in the wisdom of this world, the things that have always worked out for us. We can bring that to the table and neglect that Jesus himself declares that the the revelation of the cross, the way in which Christ chose to save us, feels like foolishness to our own natural intuition. You see, God's ways often fly in the face of your conventional wisdom, my conventional wisdom. And so when a group of people decides that they're going to lean on their intuition, they're going to lean on their experience, they very well might be missing the leading of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. They very well might be building on this foundation with materials and with strategies that end up do not holding very well in the end. Um, intuition that hasn't studied the blueprints, that hasn't um, really poured over the plans, can probably fall short. Um, God gave us some incredible blueprints. He gave us his word. He gave us the Bible. And friends, if you kind of go after following God without looking at your Bible, without learning his ways and his plans, because sometimes you're going to find stuff in the scripture that flies in the face of your conventional thought and your wisdom. And sometimes God's ways are going to seem a little bit clunky, a little bit, I wouldn't do it that way, but I want to challenge you to trust God's word and put that as your basis of life and your basis of moving forward from your moment of salvation, even when it seems to fly against what your flesh says is right. Um, let's read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. These things we also speak, not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here we find Paul talking about this incredible value of discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit. That we not only are people that know God's word that helps us with our discernment, but we also are people of prayer. That we spend time in prayer. That we allow God time in our lives for his Holy Spirit to speak to us and guide us. And you see, division can happen in a church when you've got some people listening to the Holy Spirit, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, and you've got other people, well-intended, good-hearted people deciding that that stuff is neglected and they want to be just guided by their intuition and they, you know, their experience and they've known what's worked before. And you know what? Missing God's voice usually is not an intention of anyone in the church. It usually happens from a slow fade. It usually happens from just neglecting the spiritual habits. And you're just kind of leaning on your experience. And friends, you could be walking down a road that put, finds you at odds with the discerning, with those who are spending time with God. Let's be, let's choose to be people that want to engage in these very real, practical, 
um, you know, tips that God gives us and the, and the advantages that he gives us. He gives us his word. He gives us this time. He says, I'm always available. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm always with you. And you know, he is. He's always wanting to give you direction. He's always wanting to give you discernment. When you're facing moments of, of, of confusion and, and you don't know which direction to take, look to God. He will indeed give it to you. Sometimes you just need to pause and pray. Sometimes you just need to pause and just get with him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I want you to give me that direction. Um, you know what? When these two groups of people, one that's really you know walking in discernment and those who are walking in intuition, they're trying to come to some decisions and they don't see things clearly together. They don't see things eye to eye. And they might, you might look at a church and say, man, how is it that one group is seeing it one way and one group is seeing it another? Why is there such division? Um, these, are, these are all people who love God. They're built on the same foundation and yet they're seeing things differently. And I have seen it time and time again in church after church after church. You see division. And here's one thing I think we can all take to the bank. And that's the scripture here that actually comes much later in 1 Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33. It says, For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. You see, God is not giving one group of people um, this set of wisdom and another group of people in the same church this set of wisdom. He's not speaking one set of plans to one group and another set of plans to another. He speaks in a unified way. He is a God of, of peace, not of confusion. And so when you see uh, dissensions and you see um, groups of people and factions and you see division in the church, you can rest assured that there's at least one group, maybe all of them, are not spending time seeking the Holy Spirit, not spending time in God's Word because there is an an, an attitude that's developing, there's a, a conventional wisdom that's developing, and people are resting and leaning on something other than the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And so as we kind of bring this to a conclusion, I want to read this verse. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You see, no matter what church specific church you attend, one thing to recognize is that you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of his temple, his building, and God cares about it a whole lot. In fact, here it says that anyone who attempts to destroy this temple, his church, God will destroy. And we don't want to be guilty of that. And so when we're talking and we're engaging in divisive planning and divisive conversation and divisive, um, you know, factions of the church, we need to take a step back and say, I do not want to be a part of anything that's creating division here. We need to have a passion for church unity. It needs to be at the forefront. Anyone who's in church leadership, anyone who's in church attendance, anyone who's in church membership needs to have this as a central passion of theirs, church unity. We do not want to be a part of destroying God's church. Unity is most certainly secured by a group of people who are fully committed to the following. People who are committed to the Word of God. If we've got a group of people that are all reading God's Word, we're reading it together, um, we're hearing it on Sunday mornings, we're, we're reading it on our private times, we're putting it into our hearts, 
we aren't going to be involved in division in the church. If we're a group of people that are also committed to time and prayer, that we are praying people in our own private lives and together, we are not going to be engaged in division. If we are a people that also are committed to pursuing love, that we love our brothers and sisters in this church, even though we don't see things eye to eye, even though we don't always do things the same way, even though we like different things and we do life a little differently, we love one another. If, if that's true, then we are not going to be engaged in division. And lastly, if we are willing to lay down the assumption that we are always right. When we decide that we're going to lay down the right to be right, we are not going to be engaged in division in the church. So it will not hurt you to apply all that I just said to any entity or organization or relationship that you have in your life. If you're finding yourself in the workplace divided against other people, I want to challenge you to apply this message to your workplace. If you're in a marriage right now that just feels divided, I want you to apply what I just said to you this last 30 minutes, apply it to your life. Because God is not trying and does not want for you to be engaged in division. He wants for you to find peace. He wants for you to find unity. He wants to speak to everyone that's involved in that relationship. And you can lead the way in being a person who's discerning the Holy Spirit and leading according to God's ways. And uh, that is a challenge for us today. Uh, I'm praying for unity. I'm praying for God to continually put a protection around this at our church, at Rochester Life, that we are a church that can walk forward in the mission that Jesus gave us. And there's going to be times that we don't see things eye to eye, but we're going to work it until we do. We're going to work it um, and, and pray through it and lay it in front of God until we find unity as leaders, find unity as a whole body, and uh, that it will make Jesus really happy. And that's my hearts and desire. And so we're going to look at different problems over the next five weeks, different church problems, problems that can become uh, very real and very sticky for any church. And uh, that's our plan for the next five weeks. And this first one is just foundational division. It can destroy a church, and we're not going to let that happen at Rochester Life. Let's pray. Father. This is such a critical um, way in which the enemy likes to work. He loves to sow cords of uh, seeds of division. Lord, he loves to see churches fighting with one another. He loves to see leaders fighting. He loves to see boardrooms, Lord, um, at odds with each other. Um, he likes to uh, see people fighting over closets and carpet color and changes that are taking place. But Lord, I pray first for our church family. I pray for Rochester Life that you would keep us protected. Lord, from division, that you would uh, allow everyone who calls Rochester life their home to be dedicated to your word and to prayer and to loving one another. Father, that we would uh, hold to the, the desire for unity. But Lord, I know that I'm speaking to people today that are probably struggling with division in other relationships in their life, other entities at home, school, um, Lord, at work in their marriages, with their kids. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, peace. I pray peace over every situation, Father, that's so real. Lord, every, every uh, relationship, Lord, that's broken with division right now, Lord, I pray that you would give each one the mind of Christ, that you would give them discernment, 
that you would allow them to both and all seek you, Lord. And Father, I don't know how that will happen, but I'm going to trust you for it, Lord, because that's your heart and that's your desire. Um, Lord God, if there's anyone here that never learned of you, heard of you, doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that they would lay their lives on the foundation that, that we spoke of earlier, Father, and that they would put their hope and trust in Jesus for the very first time right now, and they would say yes to you, Lord, and that they would begin to build their lives on the solid foundation of Jesus. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.